0: it's so wonderful to see you all here this morning. I'm really glad to, to be here. I know I say that pretty much every week, but given this last week, I'm really glad to be here. Early in the week, I spoke for a men's camp retreat in northern Michigan. I had a little bit different image in mind of what this camp was to be like. So when I got to the end of the mud road and it stopped, in northern Michigan in the wilderness and found out that we had electricity about two hours a day when they turned on the generator. I, it, was, it was an interesting week. It was a great week. About 250 men and their sons. and it was, a, it was an awesome week, but I'm really glad to be home. I'm here to tell you. I'm glad to be with you this morning. And we're winding up this series called Love Thy Neighbor. We've been looking through the book of Acts and, and the New Testament at people who were good neighbors, and we're going to wind up with this theme of being influential, being an influencer for Jesus Christ. Teachers make a lifelong difference. They are influential in our lives. All of us have benefited from those who have impacted our lives with their knowledge and their teaching expertise, or their ability to see in us what we could not see ourselves, or the ability to inspire us to be lifelong learners. You see, we need to pray for our teachers. We need to pray for the students. We need to pray for those who are in this field of education who are shaping and molding and transforming young lives who will be the leaders of tomorrow. They need our support. They need our encouragement. They need our pats on the back. They need our prayers. William S. Burroughs wrote, he said, the aim of education is the knowledge not of facts, but of values. Uh, Leo Bascaglia made this observation. He said, the minute we stop learning, We begin death, the process of dying. We learn from each other with every action we perform. We are teaching goodness or evil every time we step out of the house and into the street. He's right. We all teach in some form or fashion. As a matter of fact, spiritually speaking, God wants us to be teachers of the gospel. Some prefer to do that in words. Some prefer to do that in deed. But I would suggest to you that it's not an either or. It's a both and. Both are needed as we communicate the gospel. And that truth is never more relevant than in the lives of the two that we're going to talk about today. Um, A married couple, as a matter of fact, in the book of Acts, who made an impact so tremendously in the Gospels and in the region where they served. Acts 18 opens like this. In verse 1, it says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius, Emperor Claudius, had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. This was a dispersion. It was a command, no more Jews in Rome. So Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. After his brief time in Athens, Paul made the 50-mile journey to the west area to the commercial center and the capital of Achaia to the grand city of Corinth and there he met these Jews who had been dispersed from Rome named Priscilla and Aquila and because they were tent makers like Paul they started doing business together it was a way not only to support themselves but to support the ministry that they were doing now with the exception of the city of Ephesus Paul spent more time in Corinth than any other place that he went on his missionary journeys. He spent 18 months there. And while there is nothing to suggest that Priscilla and Aquila are Christians, at the time they meet the Apostle Paul, you work with somebody like Paul for 18 months, day after day, and listen to him teach in the synagogues, and it won't be long until you've come to the conclusion that you need to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And they made quite a team. As a matter of fact, in verse 18, it says, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. Now, Paul would later return to Ephesus, folks, and stay there longer than any place. But at this point, he just stops by, leaves Priscilla and Aquila, sails for home to give a report on the missionary journeys. Wow. Wow. This, I mean, this is big stuff. Priscilla and Aquila have learned a lot in 18 months, but, but they are the ones now to lead the charge in planting the church and establishing the kingdom in Ephesus. From Acts 18 and subsequent passages, we learn a lot about them. They were up to the challenge. And we're going to take a look at their lives for just a few moments. There is so much stuff here, folks. I I don't have enough time to really do all of it adequately. But I want to give you five characteristics. Because as they taught the Word of God, as they proclaimed the gospel, they realized certain things mattered. And they still matter today. And so this is what, as communicators of, of the good Word of God, this is what we're responsible to be. All right, first one, teamwork matters. Teamwork matters. Have you ever noticed how few solo acts we have in the New Testament? Not very often do you find somebody all by themselves doing a great job. On the missionary journeys, it started out as Paul and Barnabas. And then Paul and Barnabas split up and Barnabas took John Mark and Paul took Silas. Now we have two missionary teams, but still teams. Luke and Timothy traveled with Paul they they were a team when Jesus sent out the 72 into the countryside to take his message in different places he sent them out in pairs in twos not alone when Jesus had something he wanted to communicate that was extremely important or a lesson he wanted to get across he took three out of the 12 disciples with him into special moments that, that the others didn't get to go it was Peter, James and John they were a team and so in this passage, we see Priscilla and Aquila a teaming up with Paul for the work of the gospel. Whenever people worked alone, it just didn't go well. Can I remind you this morning, we are no different. Very few of us do well in life as a solo act. We need one another to bring the best out of each of us. You've heard the old expression, two heads are better than one. It really is true. Another perspective stirs my own thinking. I suddenly have ideas that alone I would never have considered. What more, with a team, there is accountability. And I'm going to tell you, every one of us needs accountability. Alone, I can justify and rationalize way too freely. But in a team, they'll hold my feet to the fire. In a team, I get pushback on my ideas. You see, if your thoughts and conclusions are never challenged, you may hold on to an idea that's second best. Or at worst, hold on to something that's not even true to begin with. God knew from the very opening verses and chapters of Genesis that being alone was not a good thing. God looked at Adam, whom he had created and said, it is not good for this man to be alone. And he created Eve, and the two of them became husband and wife. They became a team. Well, it's true of marriage. It's true of us in general. We do better as a team. We think better. We work harder. We do better as a team. Which is why that video is so important this morning. I hope you paid close attention to that life group video. And that next Sunday evening is this life group connect opportunity. Because what I want you to know is that if you're just a solo act here in the church, you're not going to do too well. You're not going to grow as well as you should grow. You're not going to build relationships like you should. You need to be in a life group, in a team, someplace where you can have interaction with other people. The the, the kingdom of God does not do well with the hermit kind of spirit. So I'm going to suggest, if you're not in a life group, next Sunday's the night. Make sure you take advantage of that because all of us do better in teams. Driving down an old country road, a traveler got lost in the countryside, ended up in a ditch, saw a small, neat farmhouse just up the road. So he got out of his car in the ditch, walked up to the farmhouse, saw an old farmer leaning up against the fence, mending the fence, and per- explained his predicament. And the farmer said, Well, he said, I've long since retired from farming, so got rid of all my tractors and stuff. He said, but, and he pointed to an old worn-out mule in the pasture. He said, but Warwick can pull your car out and Warwick can do it. And the man looked rather skeptical, but he didn't have anything to lose. I mean, there was no other option. And so the farmer grabbed a harness and some rope, and they went down to the car. And the farmer hitched up Warwick with the harness to the car. And then the farmer said this, pull, Jack. Pull, Tony. Pull, Prince pull, Warwick! And old Warwick strained into the harness and pulled the car slowly but surely up out of the ditch. The traveler was amazed. He looked at the farmer and said, well, thank you so much. He said, but why all the names? And the farmer kind of chuckled and he said, well, sir, old Warwick is just pert- near blind. As long as he thinks he's pulling in a team, he doesn't mind pulling at all. <laughs> you know what I think? I think we're a lot like old blind Warwick. We do better in teams. We don't mind pulling if we think we're pulling together. And we know that it to be true, enough studies have been done, that two pulling together can pull more than each individual alone. God created us to pull together. When you team up with someone else, it will bring the best out in you and the other person as well okay here's the second thing gentle boldness matters the important contributions made by Priscilla and Aquila in the early days of the infant church are perhaps seen by the fact that Luke the writer of Acts takes a short break in his biography of Paul's ministry to focus solely on Priscilla and Aquila that's that's pretty special Remember, Paul has left the two of them in Ephesus. Ephesus is a huge place, folks. At that day and time, it was a quarter of a million residents in the population. It was a major seaport city. It was the Roman capital of Asia and home to the magnificent temple of Artemis, our Diana, which was four times larger than the Parthenon. In Athens. As a matter of fact, tourists from all over the world at that day and time would, would find, their, find their way to Ephesus because there they were going to see and, uh, uh, this, what was called this, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Ephesus also contained one of the largest and most beautiful libraries of the ancient world and boasted the great great amphitheater that Claudius had just built, which could seat 25,000 people. Now, the ruins of the amphitheater are still there in the ancient city of Ephesus. It was a religious center filled with all kinds of Greek idols. An overwhelming place to leave a team of two to start the church. And yet, Priscilla and Aquila... We're up to the task. Take a look at what happens next. In, in verse 24 of, of Acts 18, it says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He too may have been one that had been cast out of Rome. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures, which would have been the Old Testament Scriptures. New Testament hadn't been written yet. And he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, although he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Apollos was a powerful communicator. He arrived in Ephesus as an eloquent orator, sharing the gospel in a powerful way, but he was in error regarding the issue of baptism. Now, Priscilla and Aquila knew that Apollos was clearly in the wrong. They'd studied under Paul for 18 months. How does one handle then such a sensitive confrontational issue? You got a guy that's doing a great job of preaching the gospel. He's wrong though in this area. So how do you deal with it? (laughs) How would we deal with it today in our culture? Well, I'll tell you what I see. All too often in our culture today, people become angry or haughty or condescending with the mistakes of others. When people disagree today, They may protest angrily, shout down the opposition, barricade the way to a speaker so he cannot be heard, spin the argument so it sounds more legitimate than it really is, write harsh and cruel insights behind the sanctity of their computer screen, and ultimately dismiss the person or the argument or the story as being inconsequential. You see, folks, in our culture today, in a drought of honest communication, the issues become galvanized and the people become polarized. That's what I see us handling it today. But notice the approach taken by this godly couple whose concern for the truth did not eclipse their compassion for Apollos. Priscilla and Aquila took him aside privately into their home. There, away from the spotlight and the scrutiny of the crowds, they explained and taught him the way of the Lord more adequately. Wow! What a classy, humble couple. I I reckon they had heard Paul say something about, speak the truth in love. Does that sound familiar? Paul wrote about that in, in, the, in, in one of his epistles. He wrote about how important it is to speak the truth in love. By the way, do you know to what church Paul wrote that? That's found in the book of Ephesians. He wrote that to the church at Ephesus where Priscilla and Aquila are serving. Do you think it's possible... That the, that the ancient church in Ephesus knew this story of Apollos and how Priscilla and Aquila had gently and kindly taken him aside and taught him the truth in a loving manner. Could, when Paul, of, when Paul wrote that, could he have been suggesting, you remember this? I'm telling you, speak the truth in love. So if the church throughout the ages had followed the example of this dynamic couple in dealing with controversies, mistakes, and poor scholarship, What a different story the church might have to tell. Maybe we wouldn't be so divided and splintered. Now, it's true. Some people won't listen to reason. Uh, There was no guarantee that Apollos would listen or change or accept. As a matter of fact, listen to the next verse. It says, Apollos, being greatly offended by Priscilla and Aquila and refusing to change his mind or his preaching, stormed out of town and started his own church. Is that what the next verse says? No, no, that's not what the next verse says. Here, here's the other part of this equation that's so important. Apollos was commended for being teachable. He listened and he changed his mind and he changed his preaching. And so, said, Well, how do we know that? Well, that's easy. Look at the real next verse. Verse 27 says this, when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. They wouldn't have done that if he had still been in error. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Where did he go when he left? He went back to Achaia, to Corinth. So Apollos is now in Corinth. Listen to what Paul writes to the church there later in his ministry in the letter of 1 Corinthians. In verse 3 it says, What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned each his task. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it. But God made it grow. Do you realize Apollos is mentioned several times in the scriptures and always in this faithful role of preaching? He listened he learned. He changed his mind. He changed his approach. What an example we have in these three humble servants who teach us how we should conduct ourselves in the tough moments of life. Speak the truth in love. Listen to the truth in grace. The great theologian and 15th century writer Thomas Aquinas penned this. He says, Take delight in being unknown and unregarded. A true understanding and humble estimate of oneself is the highest and most valuable of all lessons. To take no account of oneself, but always to think well and highly of others is the highest wisdom. We are all frail. Consider none more frail than yourself. What a world this would be if all of us practiced what we see in these three. Priscilla, Aquila, and Apostles. And Apollos. Here's the the third one. Accuracy matters. Now some, some would see this whole confrontation as being irrelevant. I mean, after all, Apollos was a terrific communicator. Very knowledgeable in the Old Testament scriptures. And a sincere follower of Jesus. Why, he even was preaching baptism. Uh, It was just John's baptism, which was no longer a valid baptism. I mean, it was still a baptism by immersion. So the form was vain. It was just, well, for a different purpose. Why why get all bothered about that? I mean, after all, he was sincere in his proclamation. (coughs) Priscilla and Aquila knew what the truth was. They knew what baptism was. John's baptism was a sign of repentance. Christian baptism is into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, it may have been the same form, the immersion, but it was for a different reason and purpose. In Christian baptism, it takes on new meaning. Baptism, along with the Lord's Supper, is a sacramental ordinance of the church, an incredibly important moment in life's journey. Baptism is one of those God-designed and ordained object lessons to help us remember the most incredible moment of history, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It follows one's faith, not precedes it. So it would be meaningless to one who does not believe. It builds upon the foundation of one's willingness to repent of his or her sins. It affirms our statement of faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God like an embossed seal affirms the legality of the paper on which it appears." It assures us of the indwelling presence of God's spirit in our lives. Baptism is our rite of passage. It is a dramatic statement of our allegiance to Jesus Christ. It binds us to him as surely as a wedding ceremony binds a man and woman together in marriage. Priscilla and Aquila knew that baptism was important. It was too important to let it slide. No matter how sincere Apollos was. Because you see, accuracy matters. So, don't toss up your ideas to God and say, well, I don't think it really matters to God about this or that. that." Study the scriptures to make sure what you believe, what you teach, what you model follows God's word. Here's the fourth thing. Risking all matters. In Romans 16, Paul sends out his letter and he greets 24 specific individuals in the 16th chapter. Guess who he starts with? In verse 3, this is what we read. Greet Priscilla and Aquilo, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet the church that meets in their house. They were fellow workers with Paul, but they had also risked their lives. Now, what's that mean? Well, I'm not sure what it means, but I can speculate. I can at least imagine a couple things. Uh, In 1 Corinthians, Paul speaks about fighting wild beasts in Ephesus. Now, this is what we do know from Ephesians, and that is that there was a great riot that took place in the town, stirred up by the preaching of Paul. Paul's life is on the line. And so, when he writes in Corinthians that he fought wild beasts, it may be kind of a a tongue-in-cheek reference to angry people, But it might be that in that great colosseum that Claudius had built that seated 25,000 people, that Paul faced off against wild beasts, which was oftentimes what happened in history. Christians were thrown to the wild beasts. It may very well be that Priscilla and Aquila stepped in as respected citizens, put their lives on the line, maybe said they would take Paul's place. I don't know what it was. I'm just telling you, Paul says, they risked their life for me. And not only I, but all of the churches of the Gentiles owe them a debt of gratitude. Do you know why? Because Paul was the great apostle to the Gentile churches. If Paul had died there, think how few churches would have been founded in the early days of the movement. What kind of a church are we? Are we of Jewish heritage? No, we're of a Gentile faith. Priscilla and Aquila are a part of our history. They're a part of our story. Putting their lives on the line ensured that someday the gospel would be here, even in America. You see, following Jesus Christ is always risky business. My friend Jeff Fall, who preaches in Mooresville, writes this. He said, imagine a risk-free exodus of God's people out of Egypt or a risk-free construction of Noah's ark in the midst of that day. Imagine a risk-free Abraham, Moses, Deborah, Noah, David, Mary, Elizabeth, Peter, Paul, or countless others. The parable of the talents is not risk-free. The prodigal son and the father were not risk-free. The creation of humanity was not risk-free. Leaving their boats and nets and their tax tables to be disciples of Jesus was not risk-free. Following Jesus demands risk. So what have you risked recently because your faith demands it? Author Wyn Arne wrote, he said, new life and growth are more likely to be experienced when a church or an individual is willing to risk and move from the known to the unknown. Such a move, however, is threatening. Not all are willing to assume risk. Such fear of failure has laid to rest many attainable goals and buried many magnificent visions. Take the risk. Serving Jesus is worth it. Dr. Arndt then goes on to talk about the fact that some of the students he was working with had been working with the trapeze, and then they invited him to try the trapeze, and, and he did. And this is what he said. He said, flying through the air, I made three important discoveries. He said, first, you can't hold on to one bar while grasping for the other. You must let go with both hands and leap. Second thing I learned, it's frightening and threatening to let go of your security. And third, you don't have forever to make up your mind. (laughs) What is worth the risk? Well, the question isn't what, it's who. Who is worth the risk? Well, I would suggest the one who risked everything for us is worth our risk in following him. So, people, let go with both hands. Let go. Take a leap of faith. And remember, you don't have forever to make up your mind about this. Last thing, faithfulness matters. Perhaps the most impressive quality we see in Priscilla and Aquila is their faithfulness. From the day they became a Christian to the day they drew their last breath, they remained faithful to the Lord. They were faithful to the church. Both in Rome and Ephesus, they opened their home and the church met in their house. Wow, what a gift of faithfulness. They were faithful to one another as a team and as husband and wife. They're always mentioned together. You don't ever find them mentioned separately. It's always Priscilla and Aquila or Aquila and Priscilla. You might be surprised how few married couples serve God together in the Scripture. Ministry is a team effort. I'm here to tell you it would be nearly impossible for me to do alone. I rely upon Elsie for more than you can possibly imagine. And while she is not the one who stands here on Sunday mornings and delivers a message, I depend upon her God-given gifts and insights. I would be incomplete without her. She would be incomplete without me. We are a team. And that's how God wants the church to work, as a team. Faithful to one another in his body. So the work can go forward. And here's the last thing, they were faithful to Paul in the work of the gospel. I I think their faithfulness speaks to us boldly. Herbert Lockyer writes that Priscilla and Aquila are the most distinguished among Paul's fellow helpers. You want to know how important they were to Paul? How faithful they were to helping him, to the church, and to one another? Paul's last letter is 2 Timothy. It's the letter he writes knowing that he's about to die. As a matter of fact, toward the end of 2 Timothy, he says, Timothy, hurry about this. There's not much time left. So you would think that you would only include in a a final letter the words that really matter and the things that really matter. We come to the last three verses of the fourth chapter of 2 Timothy, and this is what we read. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. To the very end... These two were faithful to helping Paul, to helping the church, to helping one another, to helping the gospel, to helping the kingdom grow. I believe that we are here partly because of their faithfulness. I don't know about you, but when I get home to heaven, I'm looking forward to meeting Priscilla and Aquila and saying, thank you. Thank you for remaining faithful to the call of the gospel because somehow the Gentile church grew by leaps and bounds And I'm one of those who 2,000 years later was the beneficiary of your faithfulness. Now, here's the other thing. We are part of their story. Who in the future is going to be part of your story? Who needs your faithfulness in serving Jesus Christ? Let's be Priscilla's and Aquila's in the 21st century. Let's stand and sing.